0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you, beloved, from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is this working? Hello? Yep. Okay. Pull out your uh, service folder. There's the, the lesson that we'll be covering, Isaiah chapter 52, the last three verses, and then Isaiah 53. In my sermon last week, in the reading from Isaiah, you heard how the Lord's servant was going to be opposed is going to be shamefully treated and abused. Tonight, that's all spelled out in all its gory details. Tonight's servant song is the best known of Isaiah's servant songs, and tonight's servant song often is reserved to be read on Good Friday. On Good Friday, and for good reason. Just as the other Bible texts chosen for that night are very clear in showing the suffering and death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, so this text, written 700 years before it happened. So, may we hear this text, believe, and rightly respond to the Lord telling us, Behold, my servant suffers. For you. Now just a little aside, as with the last sermon, we can't get in depth in this sermon song, servant song. There's just too much there. One Lent, I preached all the midweek services just on this one text. So we're just going to be able to do as well as we can in the short time before us. So let's take up first verse 13. And as we've done, let's read it together. Verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely, he shall shall be be high high and lifted lifted up, and and shall shall be exalted. exalted. We'll stop there. And so this servant song, the best known, starts as the first one did, with the Lord God calling out, Behold, my servant. And so as we do with the rest of the servant songs, as we do with the rest of Scripture, we behold the servant, again, not with our eyes, but with our ears. And before we do that, before we take up the suffering and death of the servant, the Lord himself tells us something important. He tells us his servant is going to succeed. He assures us he's going to succeed. And that's an assurance we certainly need. Yes, Lent and Holy Week, it's coming up, are very serious times, very somber times, as the truth is laid before our eyes, the suffering of the Lord's servant, our Savior, Jesus Christ. This we need to hear, this we must hear, lest we be confused lest we be unsure how our sins are dealt with and how we are saved eternally. This we need to hear, this we must hear, lest we make light of our sin and make light of what our Savior has done. Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose its evil great, Here may view its nature rightly. Here its guilt may estimate. We sing that in a hymn. We see that in the depths of the suffering of the Lord's servant. Still, again, before we begin, we do not behold the Lord's servant as the first disciples did. No, seeing the suffering and death of the Lord's servant of Jesus Christ, those disciples despaired. They lost hope. They lost faith. And of course, that's we don't want to do. And so the Lord assures us before we behold His suffering that He's going to act wisely. His servant will succeed. The servant's song, this servant's song, all the passion accounts like what we hear. Jesus' suffering, bleeding, and dying. This is to Christ's Glory, Christ's glory. Christ, the life of all the living. Christ, the death of death, our foe. Who thyself for me once giving to the darkest depths of woe. Thousand, thousand thanks to thee, dearest Jesus, unto thee. Let's take verse 14 and 15 and verse 1 of the text. As many were astonished at you, His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? My friends here, here we see how bad, how horrible this suffering and death will be. The servant is not going to look human after everything done to him, marred beyond human semblance. Should his body be dumped in a field somewhere, someone stumbling across it wouldn't know if the remains were human or animal. Of course, we are kind people, and we denounce such abuse, right? But dear Christian, remember, denounce your sin, your sins. Dear Christian, remember that your sin is the reason the Lord serves in such suffered such abuse. And When you denounce it, think personal, think first-person pronouns. I, me, my, I caused his pain. Chief of sinners, though I be, Jesus shed his blood for me. Died that I might live on high, died that I might never die. As the branches to the vine, I am his, And he is mine. Now in verse 15, that reference, sprinkle many nations, that might sound like a subtle, veiled reference to holy baptism. But that word sprinkle can also be translated startle. Startle. And that really seems to fit better in the context here. These verses... Verse 15 such such, it's really about the spread of the gospel. The great ongoing Christian task of Christian witness and evangelism. We Christians hear, we keep on hearing, we keep on believing that gospel message. And that gospel message so fills us up that it spills out of our lips into the lives of others. Nations. Peoples are going to be startled. That is surprised. And kings are going to shut their mouths in amazement when they hear this gospel message. When they hear that the Lord God actually sent His servant, His Son Jesus Christ, who suffered and died for them. Now Isaiah's questions in verse 1 It takes up the sad and shocking response of unbelief, unbelief to the gospel we treasure so much. We're stunned by unbelief, by how many react to the gospel with unbelief. But stunned, this shouldn't keep us from speaking. And stunned, this shouldn't keep us from praying fervently and frequently praying. That God would never, never let us, let us fall from faith. We just sang that hymn, O sacred head now wounded. And did you hear that prayer? It was in verse 5, that prayer. Lord, let me never, never outlive my love for thee. Of course, also we pray frequently and fervently for those already showing signs of unbelief. Signs of unbelief. By their poor worship and communion attendance. By their not reading the Bible, not coming to Bible class or coming to church and sitting like a bump on a log during the worship service and not participating. And also... Let's pray frequently and fervently for those who have never heard about Jesus or those who have turned their backs on him. O Christian, pray. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. Verses 2 and 3. and we esteemed Him not. We pray, dear Christian, because the Lord's servant does not appear as we expect Him to appear. And this happens all the time. This is really common in life. Think of the last person you knew only over the telephone, or by, maybe by some electronic means that we have now, and then you finally meet that person Was that person's look exactly as you had anticipated? No. But we, with people, we tend to do, what we do is we let go of our expectations and we welcome reality, who they really are. But many, many do not do that with the Lord's servant. Why? Because meeting the Lord's servant is a spiritual thing. And when it comes to a spiritual thing, then you take in Satan and sin. Satan and sin. And so many people think that they're believers, but they refuse to read their Bibles. And they're not going to listen closely when they come and sit in church either. Why? Because of Satan and sin. Because they don't want to let go of their own ideas about the Lord and His servants. And so if you repent and you truly believe, then read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest God's Word of Truth. How can you not, dear Christian, if you really believe that the Lord's servant has suffered for you? These verses tell us that unbelief is the reason the servant was despised and rejected by men. The servant was despised and rejected because the servant is Jesus Christ who is the Word of God made flesh. I know my faith is founded on Jesus Christ my God and Lord and this my faith confessing. Unmoved I stand on His sure Word. Now verses 4, 5, and 6 together. To his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Surely, that mean word means that you could be confident, confident that the Lord's servant bore your griefs and sorrows. But that word surely also communicates a note of surprise, a note of the unexpected, a note of wonder. We would probably say. Wow! Wow! I never would have thought that this ordinary-looking guy by the name of Jesus would do something as exceptional as carry my griefs and my sorrows. After all, this is followed by verse 4, We esteemed, Isaiah wrote, We judged him stricken by God, smitten by God, and afflicted. For his own guilt and sin. But Noah's verse 5 follows on. It assures us he was pierced. He was wounded. He was crushed for our sins. For our transgressions. For our iniquities. Pierced. Pierced clearly pointing forward to the crucifixion. Nails driven through Jesus' hands and feet. And another surprise is there. Another thing unexpected all of that horror inflicted upon Him brings to you and me healing, health and peace, peace and healing, peace and healing to that once broken relationship with, we had with the Lord God Himself. And that broken relationship could no, be described no more vividly than there in verse 6. Strain sheep. Strange sheep. We were strange sheep. Strange sheep are dead sheep. Strange sheep are an easy target and a tasty meal for any predator. A picture of how we are against Satan. So thankfully, surprisingly, wonderfully, the Lord has laid on him, upon his servant, the iniquity of us all to heal and bring peace to that broken relationship. Glory be to Jesus, who in bitter pains poured for me His lifeblood from His sacred veins. Now verses 7, 8, and 9. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is before shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So the sinless Lord's servant, standing silent, accused of many things by the Jewish high priest, by the Sanhedrin, accused before Pontius Pilate, silent, offers no defense. Yet that silence speaks volumes. That silence preaches The servants trust in the Lord his God, loudly declaring to all that he will be vindicated. Vindicated, as we heard last week. And he has been vindicated. Vindicated by his resurrection three days later, and he will be vindicated again. When you and I and all of his people are gathered before him on the last day. Saved eternally from Satan's sin and death. Vindicated for eternity. Now oppression and judgment carried the Lord's servant all the way to the cross. And in that generation, in that generation, that is in that day, no one considered that the Lord's servant, that Jesus was stricken for the transgressions of the people. Once again, that's a big difference between the believers that stood before Jesus dying and believers after that time. The believers on Good Friday looked upon the servant Jesus dying on the cross and no one considered that He was dying for their sins, stricken for the sins of the people. No one. But after that day and today and until the last day, believers do we do. We see that he died for us. And when the servant died, he was executed like a common criminal. He was executed like a wicked person. That's what verse 9 means. They made his grave with the wicked. With the wicked. Pilate knew his innocence as one of the thieves on the cross did and even the Roman centurion knew that. He knew that Jesus had done nothing wrong, had done no violence, had spoken no deceit. And amazingly, when everything was done to him, Jesus was buried in a rich man's tomb. The tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And that's amazing because by Roman custom, they would leave crucifixion victims on the cross to rot, to rot. O darkest woe, ye tears forthflow. Has earth so sad a wonder? God the Father's only Son now is buried yonder. The last section, verses 10, 11, and 12. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. It was the will of the Lord. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. So all of this, none of this, was an accident. So what is the will of the Lord? The will of the Lord is to save you, dear Christian, to save you. That's why Jesus, the Lord's servant, came to earth, was born. He lived, he suffered and died. That's why there are churches and congregations. That's why there's worship The Bible read and preached, the sacraments served, Bible class, and all of this. That's why the Lord does not immediately take a person who comes to faith directly home to heaven, but leaves them here. It's the Lord's will to suffer for you, to save you, and now to save others through you. And the will of the Lord prospers in the hand of the Lord's servant of Jesus It prospers as you hear. And keep on hearing this servant song and all the other scripture verses that talk about Jesus, what he has done, what he accomplishes, what he gives, what he promises to you. The will of the Lord prospers as he builds you up in the most holy faith and in holy living. The will of the Lord prospers as you see your sins and you repent of your sins as you receive the forgiveness of sins and once again purpose to live as a child of the light and let other people know how wonderful the Lord's servant is. With the guilt and punishment for sin covered, in verse 11 it says that the Lord now makes many accounted righteous through the knowledge of His righteous servant. And this is so very, very important. So very important. This is legal language. This is courtroom language. Yes, you've sinned. Yes, you're guilty as sin. And yes, you continue to sin. You mess up in life. But the Lord declares you righteous. Because of his righteous servant, because of the knowledge of him, you are not guilty. You are off the hook. This is called the great exchange. Have you ever heard that before? The great exchange. The Lord's servant, who's not guilty, he takes your guilt upon himself, so that you who are guilty might be declared not guilty. That too is how the will of the Lord is accomplished and how the will of the Lord prospers in the hand of his servant, Jesus. Now in verse 10, Isaiah predicts another surprising event. It's actually a prophecy about Easter. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. So death is not the end for the Lord's servant. The Lord's servant doesn't stay dead. The Lord's servant's days will be prolonged. The servant is going to see his offspring, that is see all of those who are saved eternally because of what he did. Now next week Isaiah is going to go on and describe in much more detail the triumph of, of this servant in the last servant song. But for now imagine how surprising these words must have been for the people in Isaiah's day. Facing the dark days of Babylonian invasion, death, defeat, enslavement, and exile. And of course, we face dark days as well. These, my friends, are powerful truths that are going to carry you through the dark days as well as the good days. These are words that are going to carry you through death itself. The Lord's servant suffers for you. The Lord's servant carries your sin in his own body to the tree. The Lord's servant died to save you for all eternity, and the Lord's servant lives for all eternity. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. No merit of my own, I claim, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. In Jesus' name, amen.